Lord, to worship you, to serve and worship an audience of one. Lord, that you get the glory. Lord, our eyes and our hearts are fixed on you. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to us. Lord, as we open up your word, Lord, you begin to speak to, to us, our hearts and our lives, into our hearts and our lives, Lord. And Father, I pray for those of us that are saved, that we would be enriched. And Lord, that we would be encouraged. And those who are not saved, Lord, they might come to you today and receive you as their Savior, Lord. Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself. Everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you, not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Turn to 2 Timothy. If you have, again, your Bible or Bible app, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're now in part 3 of our series, Last Words. Say last words. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 18 is... Today's text, we're going to finish all of chapter 1 today, so don't miss next week. We're going to start chapter 2 next week. So again, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. And before we dive into the text, as, text as always, I want to do a, a quick review from last week's text, verses 8 through 12 of this chapter. I give you three points, and the first point was unashamed of our Savior. Everyone say that, unashamed of our Savior. That was in verse 8, and Paul doesn't want Timothy and all believers to be ashamed when it comes to testifying about Jesus and to not shrink back from the testimony of Jesus, to not be ashamed of anything that is a witness, a testimony, or proof and evidence of anything that pertains to Jesus. Now, Paul is not only exhorting Timothy to not be ashamed of testifying about Jesus, but also not to be ashamed of being associated with Paul himself or to have a relationship with with Paul. Now, I love what the fact that Paul made it very clear that he's a prisoner of Jesus and not of Nero, and he saw his imprisonment as under God's sovereign control. And this is why Paul, in his own thinking, was not a prisoner of the Roman Empire, but of Christ himself, a prisoner of the gospel. And then Paul, he invites Timothy to be willing to suffer with him. And he was simply informing Timothy that to testify of Jesus and also to identify and associate with Paul himself would be, excuse me, would come at a price. That suffering, say suffering, for the sake of Jesus is part of the Christian life. Now after telling Timothy the honest truth about the suffering and affliction that would come his way, he lets Timothy know he was not without hope. And the text says, join with me in suffering for the gospel, and here's the hope, by the power of God. Say the power of God. That Paul's telling Timothy that God would enable Timothy to endure whatever he faced by God's mighty power. The second point was unashamed of our salvation. Say that. And that's in verses 9 through 10. And Paul, what he does, reminds Timothy and us that we are saved. Say saved. That our salvation is an accomplished fact and that we, not only, we, are, we, are, we are not only saved, but that we are also called to a holy life. That salvation calls us to holiness, say holiness, and holiness, the holy life, accompanies salvation. And then Paul reminds Timothy and all believers, say all believers, that our salvation and our calling have, listen, have nothing to do with who we are or with anything that we may have done. That we are saved by grace, say saved by grace, listen, saved by grace, period, period. The fact that we can do nothing for our salvation, excuse me, is reiterated by the fact that this grace was given to us before the time began. 
And then Paul assures Timothy and us that death wasn't all that bad for the believer because it wasn't the end for the believer. Because Jesus Christ dying on the cross had already abolished or broke the power of death and that death is rendered inoperative and that it's taken out of the picture, death itself, and the spotlight of grace, a grace, shines on the life and immortality and that death to the Christian, death, listen now, is no longer a threat. Death is no longer an enemy and death is no longer the end for the believer. The third point was unashamed to share the gospel. Say that. To share the gospel, verses 11 through 12. And Paul, he shares how God uniquely called him to proclaim the gospel as a herald, in other words, as a, a preacher, an apostle, and also a, a teacher. And this description of Paul's divine duty was a reminder to both Timothy and all believers, us, friends, of our duty to faithfully share the gospel. Then in verse 12 is Paul's profound statement of faith, and I love it. He says, that is why I'm suffering as I am. In other words, this is the reason why I'm in prison, Paul's saying. I'm not ashamed of suffering for the cause of Christ. And he says, yet I am not ashamed because I know, say I know, that means knowing with certainty whom I have believed. And I am convinced, say convinced, that he is able, Christ is able to guard others to watch, to keep an eye on what I have entrusted to him for that day. So Paul's like, I know the person into whose hands I have committed, right? I have committed my calling, my ministry, my present situation, my present condition, my life, and my eternal destiny. And his assurance was all about Jesus Christ. Paul's assurance was all about Jesus Christ. I know whom I have, say it, believed. This brings us to today's text. The title of today's message is Faithfulness. Everyone say that. Now say it like you're faithful. Say faithfulness. Awesome. Two points from today's text. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is the exhortation. Write that down. Say that. The exhortation. The exhortation, follow me now, to, to guard the word of God. The exhortation to hold fast the form, to cling tightly to, to keep the standard, to keep the pattern, to keep the blueprint of sound doctrine of sound teaching. Why? Because it's possible to allow it to become corrupted. Look at verse 13 with me. Paul writes to Timothy, what you heard from me, speaking of the biblical truth Timothy heard from Paul, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern, say pattern, of sound teaching. The King James renders it as this, hold fast the form of sound words. And I want to stop there because the idea here is a repeatable pattern, something that can be stamped in over and over and over again, like a, like a printing press making money repeatedly, or a rubber stamp creating the same design continually. It was used in ancient Greece to speak of the blow of a horse's hoof on the ground, creating the same image in the dirt over and over and over again. So Paul is saying that the teaching Timothy or any pastor should be presenting is to be the same as that which was originally given. Follow me. It should be the same gospel. It should be the same message. It should be the same truth, the same thing that was taught originally. In other words, rubber stamp it. Say that. Rubber stamp it. Now each pastor, we know this right, each teacher will have a different way of presenting the word of God. We get that right. 
but it should always be the same hoof print, the same pattern, the same stamp as was originally presented in the Word of God. Now, now sadly, we live in a day and age, we live in a day and age in a culture where Christians have departed or drifted away from sound doctrine. They have departed or drifted away from the truth of God's Word. And now, church tradition and experience and emotionalism, entertainment, and the latest church trend has become the priority. And the church today is preaching a feel-good, relative, cultural, sensational, pep-talk doctrine. And friends, they have drifted away from preaching the authentic, unadulterated, infallible, inerrant, unchanging word of God. Now I want to say this. Here I cry out. We preach the truth of God's word. Can, can, some, can I get a witness? Okay, follow me. It's substance over style, truth over trends, and Christ over culture. And so as your pastor, and I want you to follow me here, as your pastor, it's not my job to come up with new truths or, or, or new revelation or a new message or a new teaching, but to simply stick to the text to explain the truths in God's word and to make them understandable to you. Listen, church, Paul is calling on Timothy, and he's calling on us, every single believer, to hold fast to sound biblical teaching because that teaching has been given to us by inspiration. If you're safe, say amen. What you and I are looking at this morning, what we're studying this morning, is the very word of God. And every word is inspired, and every single word is profitable, and we are to hold fast to it. We are to hold fast to sound biblical doctrine, to sound teaching and preaching because we live in a relativistic age and culture that does not believe in absolute truth. In fact, some of you have some friends, some co-workers, some family members who love you, but they think you're crazy, okay? They think you're crazy because you believe that the Bible is God's word and that the Bible is absolute truth. Well, no matter what they think about you, you hold fast. You, you cling tightly to, you keep the standard, the pattern of sound doctrine. So, so how are we to hold fast to this sound doctrine? Well, let's, let's read on. He says, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Did you get that? Faith means to believe God's word and to be faithful to it. I'm going to say it again. Faith means to believe God's word, to believe it, and to be faithful to it. And the word there, love, means to practice it. Got it? Not just to know it, but to practice it. And Paul is simply saying, I don't want you to just simply believe what you believe and simply accept the biblical truths. I also want you to live out those truths in your life. Yeah? I want those truths to work out in your faith and in your love. Now, I want to say this. I, I know some Christians who hold to sound doctrine, which is a great thing, amen? Great thing. But they don't hold it in genuine love toward others. Follow me here. If we have faith, okay, biblical truth, without love, we become harsh Pharisees. You guys with me? Who were very committed to holding certain teachings, but had no fruit, say no fruit, 
of love evident in their lives. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Speak the truth in love. And come on, everyone say that. Speak the truth in love. Now, yes, we are to speak the truth. Right? We are to speak the truth. We should never shrink back or apologize from speaking and standing for the truth. But we must do it in and with love. Say love. Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, speak the truth in love. Now, I want to say this, okay? The love here, love doesn't mean excusing sin. Okay? Love doesn't mean affirming or approving of someone's lifestyle. We as Christians can be compassionate without compromising the truth of God's word. Do I have a witness? So speak the truth, yes, in love, but also the truth. Amen? Got it? Verse, verse 14, stay with me now. Guard, love that, guard the good deposit, say deposit, that was entrusted to you, Timothy. And then I want to stop there because the, the good deposit that's entrusted to Timothy and pastors, because in context, Paul's speaking to pastors, but this also applies to believers as well, all believers, right? So the good deposit that's entrusted to Timothy and in pastors to all believers is the truth of God's word. That's the deposit. The truth is the treasure. And we have the responsibility to be active in the care, in the protection, in the guarding of the truth. Now I want you to write these scriptures down. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Write that down. I'll read it to you. And Paul writes to those in Thessalonica, on the contrary, he says, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted, here we go, entrusted with the gospel. Did you guys get that? We are not trying to please people, but God, but God who, set, who, excuse me, who tests our hearts. Write this down, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we covered this before, right? Chapter 6, verses 13 through 14 and verse 20. And there Paul says in the very end of verse 13, he says, I charge you, I charge you to keep, verse 14, to keep, in other words, guard this command without spot or blame. You guys get that? In other words, Paul's telling Timothy, the command for you, Timothy, is to teach the message of the gospel and to teach the truth properly. That it's to be given without compromise and in its fullness because the word of God, say the word of God, must be protected and kept from anything that will stain it or bring reproach on it. That it must be free of anything that will cause distraction from its life-giving and life-transforming word. And then verse 20, 1 Timothy 6, he says, Timothy, guard what has been, here we go, entrusted to your care. Listen, as your pastor, I, I am accountable, totally accountable and responsible to guard the word of God that's been entrusted to me. And God has called me to faithfully dispense his word to you and to do it without adding to it, without taking away from it, and without diluting it, and without twisting it. And I'm to give you his word, preach it and teach it, nothing more and nothing less. Let's read on. Guard it. Say guard it. Guard what? In context, the truth of God's word. Context is everything, right? Guard it with the help 
of who? The Holy Spirit who lives in us. If you're saved, say amen. That, that tells us that the Spirit of God lives in us. Right? Got it? Okay, it's not just for super saints. Are you guys with me? Okay? And what Paul is saying to Timothy in context of pastors, but also applies to every believer, is this. We will have to be reliant on the Holy Spirit if we are going to continue to be faithful to the truth and continue to guard the truth. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Again, we, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us discern truth from error and to correct any misinterpretations of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is that person in you that kind of goes, ah, when something's wrong. Amen? Listen, we cannot keep our lives sound in doctrine, nor steady in the exercises of faith and love without the help of the Holy Spirit. Got it? We must be consciously and wholeheartedly dependent upon the Holy Spirit. In other words, I can't do this. You can't do this apart from the Spirit of God. Okay? Can't do it apart from the Spirit of God. So that's the exhortation that Timothy, all believers, pastors, are to guard the truth. Hold fast to it. Don't shrink from it. Can I, can I get an amen? Say the exhortation. Point number two is the examples. Of what? The examples, and we're going to read the text, the examples of unfaithfulness and faithfulness. Let's first look at Paul's deserting friends. How about that one? Huh? Paul's deserting friends. Look at verse 15 with me. You know that, Paul's Paul's telling, right? He's he's saying this, right? You know that everyone in the province of Asia, now I want to stop there because Ephesus, where Timothy was serving as Paul's representative, was the capital of the province of Asia. Ephesus was the capital of the province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, okay? So he says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. Now, I want to stop there because Paul is talking about believers here, okay? He's not talking about non-believers who deserted him. He's talking about believers here. And you see what Paul does, I believe Paul does, is Paul prepares Timothy and us, all believers, to experience disappointment in the Christian life from other Christians. You guys with me? Now, now, now Paul, I, I believe Paul is using a bit of hyperbole here, perhaps writing with intentional exaggeration to make sure his readers see the extent of this disloyalty of these two guys. So not everyone in Asia deserted Paul, and I'll tell you why, because we know Timothy had not, right? And, and we'll see in the next verse uh, that another person had not deserted Paul as well. But there were many who did. And so I think about Paul and his situation. Poor Paul, man, such a faithful servant, right? Such a faithful shepherd to those in Ephesus, and yet was let down by many, many of them. They bailed on him once he got arrested and once he got put into prison. And they're not running to go see him. Okay, they're not going, they're not running to go see him. They're not holding back. Okay, Uh, excuse me, they're holding back and they're keeping their distance right now. Now, David Guzik said this, and I love it. He said, if there were Christian radio back then, no one would want to interview Paul. If there were Christian magazines back then, Paul would not have been on the cover. Paul Paul would have had a hard time finding a publisher for the books he had written. 
For many Christians of that day, Paul seemed too extreme, too committed, not flashy or famous enough. Even the Christians of Asia, where Paul did a great work, turned away from him. Now, here in the text, Paul gives us the names of two notable men who were among those who deserted him. And he mentions them perhaps because he, he had counted on these guys and their support for him. So let's read on, including Phygelus and Hermogenes, two guys, boy, good names, right? Like I said last week, boy, I thought my name was bad, Arnold, okay? Now, now we, we don't know much about these two guys. This is the only time, place that they're mentioned in the Bible. And by the way, if you're going to have your name mentioned or recorded in the Bible, you would want it to be for a good thing, right? Not a bad thing, right? These guys are mentioned as examples of unfaithfulness. Now, now Paul had no problem naming names. I love that about Paul. He was bold. He would name names. In fact, he used names in his pastoral letters more than any of the letters that he wrote. So follow me. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, you might remember this when we did this study in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, Paul calls out two guys by the name of Hymenius and Alexander. Remember those two guys? For what? For moving away from the truth and going to error. In chapter 2, verse 17 of 2 Timothy, Paul calls out Hymenius again, and there's another guy that he calls out by the name of Philetus. In chapter 4, verse 10 of 2 Timothy, he calls out Demas for deserting him. And then in chapter 4, verse 14, he calls out Alexander again. So Paul was never afraid to name names. Now I want to say this. The fact that many had deserted Paul could have made Paul bitter. Yeah? Bitter. Perhaps, you know, angry, even cynical, but, he, but it didn't. He, he could have, it could have made him question God. It could have made Paul question the gospel, the church, perhaps even make him walk away from the gospel, period. But it didn't. And that's what's so beautiful, and that is what's so amazing about Paul. Now, now listen, the, the very reason why Paul records in the text that many deserted him and naming two of them is simply to say to Timothy, simply say this, Timothy, don't think that serving God's people will mean that they will not let you down. Paul's saying, Timothy, don't be surprised by that. Okay? Because it, it happens. You guys ready for the lesson? Here we go. There is no perfect church. <laughs> Say that. There's no perfect church. You, you guys got to get that. Let that sink in. If you're safe, say amen. Now listen, listen. When, when you're disappointed by the church, when you're disappointed by the people in the church, when you're disappointed by the pastors and leaders, remember, you don't serve in a perfect church. Okay? You serve in an imperfect church. And it's not going to be perfect until Jesus comes back and makes us perfect. Can I get him in? In fact, you know what? If you, if you find the perfect church, don't go there because you messed it all up. And I've always said the church is not a society of perfect people. Rather, it's a society of redeemed people who express their spirituality through imperfect personalities. 
Okay, I hate to tell you, friends, but guess what? I'm dysfunctional and so are you. Amen? It's by the grace of God that we're together. Amen? Now, if you're saved, say amen. We can learn a lot, a lot from Paul. Paul gives his life for these people, right? I mean, he served them, he taught them, he loved them, and guess what? They let him down. But he keeps on giving his life for these people. Isn't that amazing? And this is exactly how we need to relate to each other. So we saw Paul's deserting friends, right? They're unfaithful. Now let's look at Paul's devoted friend. From deserting friends to now a devoted friend. The one who was faithful. Out of all those Christians in, in, in Asia who deserted and abandoned Paul, here you have this one guy. This one guy. He's a, he's a different guy than Phygelus and Hermogenes. He was faithful to Paul in difficult circumstances. And Paul pronounces, I love this about Paul, Paul pronounces a divine blessing, say blessing, on this guy and this guy's household. Verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Then Paul explains why. Because he, Onesiphorus, often refreshed me. Get that? Why? Because he often refreshed me. Now, we know nothing about Onesiphorus uh, other than that he lived near Timothy because at the end of 2 Timothy, the letter, Paul asked Timothy to greet Onesiphorus' household. Now, Onesiphorus, strange name, right? Strange name, but an amazing faithful Christian. Amazing faithful brother in Christ. And by the way, the Roman government, you got to get this, the Roman government didn't feel obligated to clothe nor to feed the prisoners. And that was up to the family, and that was up to the friends to do that. And obviously, Onesiphorus did that very thing. He brought clothes and he brought food to Paul. Because it says he often, what, refreshed me. Correct? Now, now I believe that Onesiphorus refreshed Paul with more than just clothing and with just food, I believe he ministered to Paul. He ministered to Paul, and he prayed for Paul, and he encouraged Paul. I also forgot to mention that Onesiphorus means help bringer. His name means help bringer, which he lived up to that name, didn't he? So you ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. And get this, refresh others. Say that. Now, follow me here. The word refresh in the text has the idea of like a cool, fresh breeze. Okay? Got that? And we use a figure of speech for people that are a blessing to us, right? We say they're a breath of fresh air, right? And that's what we should want our lives to be, right? We, we shouldn't be a burden. We shouldn't be a bummer, right? We should be a blessing, a breath of fresh air to others. And we need to refresh those around us. Listen, one of God's purposes for every single believer is that he or she be refreshment to others. So question, when was the last time you refreshed somebody in their faith? When was the last time 
you poured into someone's life. When was the last time, friends, listen now, that you encouraged someone, that you prayed for someone? When was the last time that you loved on someone? When was the last time that you text or email or called someone to encourage them? We are called to refresh others. And you know, there are many individuals here at Cry Out who have come into my life at just the right time to be, listen now, a breath of fresh air to me, to refresh me and pray for me and to encourage me and to strengthen me in the work that God has called me to do. And I appreciate you. You know who you are. And God has used you at the very right time to come into my life and to speak a word of encouragement or a text to say, Pastor, I love you. And I thank God for that. I sure hope that I have been a breath of fresh air to you as well. And I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a bummer. Okay? I want and desire to be a blessing and a breath of fresh air, one who refreshes you as well. I also want to point out that Onesiphorus not only helped Paul, but friends, he did it at some personal cost. Right? And that's what's significant about this guy, man, what he did. Because the stigma of connecting yourself with an enemy of Rome, which Paul was, produced the potential threat that you're going to be guilty by association. And you'll be looked at as a friend of an enemy of Rome. And Onesiphorus did it at a personal cost. He moved through all that. Got it? And he did, did not fear, right? Did not fear. And fear did not dictate his actions. Now let's read on. And was not ashamed of my chains. Onesiphorus was not ashamed, right? Not ashamed. Was not afraid to be identified with Paul because Onesiphorus could have been thrown in prison as well. Okay, so he was not ashamed, not afraid, even though he presented a potential threat to his own safety. You guys with me? Verse 17, let's move along. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, this is Paul speaking about Onesiphorus, he searched hard for me until what? He found me. The New Living Translation says that he searched everywhere until he found me. And I want to point out that at this time, the city has been burnt. You know your history, okay, it's been burnt. And many of the stores and the business parts of the city have been burnt because who burned it down? Nero. And he blamed the Christians for it. Right? He burned it down. Now, we don't know how many prisons were there in Rome at that time, but I'm sure there were many of them. And so Onesiphorus had to keep looking and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking until he finally found Paul. And when he found Paul, he poured into Paul's life and refreshed his soul. Verse 18, we're almost done here. And here, Paul, what he does, he pronounces a divine benediction on this faithful, say faithful, believer who has encouraged Paul. And he says this, this is what Paul says. May the Lord grant that he, okay, Onesiphorus, will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well, Paul says, in how many ways he, Onesiphorus, helped me. In Ephesus. In other words, friends, Paul's saying, Lord, when that man stands before you, when his life ends on this earth, 
And when that man stands before you, bless him. Reward him greatly because he encouraged and refreshed me when everyone else left me. How beautiful is that? You see, Paul expected Onesiphorus will be blessed in heaven because of his Christ-like actions toward Paul. Question, why is Paul telling Timothy about the example of Onesiphorus, who was a standard in encouraging him when everyone else abandoned him. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Paul wants Timothy to imitate Onesiphorus. Because he wants the Ephesian church to imitate Onesiphorus. Because Paul wants every single Christian to imitate that Christian man. And friends, we ought to aim to imitate this biblical encourager. So let's wrap this up real quick here. After studying today's text, we as, if you're safe, say amen. We need to make a commitment, say commitment, to do two things, okay? We went through the text, right? We walked through the text. Two things, a commitment to two things is we need to be faithful to the Word of God. Got that? Faithful to the Word of God and faithful to the people of God. That I, you, will be committed, faithful to His Word and faithful and committed to each other. I got your back. You got my back because we have his word. Amen? Let's all stand.